Hey y'all, this is Gretchen from Always a Lessons Empowering Educators podcast. I'm a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts, but make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to Kindergarten Chaos, the Developmentally Appropriate Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to Kindergarten Kiosk. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy. And today we're going to be talking about rigor. What is rigor? Rigor is a big fancy buzzword <laughs> that we're all we all need to use nowadays. And I think a lot of teachers are stressed because most principals are saying when I come in and observe your lesson mm. I'm looking for rigor well I know it's and a fancy buzzword because when you google it, rigor everything that comes up has to do with the classroom I think we took that <laughs> word over I, I think, think the so. Webster's dictionary is now going to say under rigor a classroom that has high <laughs> expectations it's our word now no one else can have it when I think about rigor, I think about um, what is not rigor. What is not rigor? And I know that, and I'm sure there are a lot of schools still using this program, but there is a program that you and um, your brother had as kids that you had to read a book and take a test, and then you got a sticker, and if you got the most stickers, then you got a giant party. And I think they put and, put your, like, a, something across the wall for, like, how many yeah. books you've read. I always had the most... Of course you always Because I, I read fast, and I can figure out quizzes real easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I even had to read the book to pass those quizzes. I did. Yeah. Because I but like to that, read. But... So that's not rigor. I mean, it, I'm not saying it's a bad program and a bad deal, but it's <laughs> not rigor. It's not rigorous. Rigor is, rigorous, rigor is not and, having and there's worksheets no, uh, at all of your centers. And there's no academic uh, evidence that uh, a prog- programs like that improve your academic no, scores no either. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I think let's talk a little bit about what is rigor. And a great way to, that I like to define rigor is uh, rigor is when something is highly expected. Okay. Example, please. And so the best way to start is um, starting at the beginning with your planning, like all rigorous planning. We start with planning. And so when you're going to plan a lesson to plan a rigorous lesson, the first thing you need to do is make sure that your um, lesson you're going to deliver is going to be systematic. Well, systematic just means you're, it's a plan that you're doing on purpose. Okay. You can tell us what Webster said. Google that while I... <laughs> let's read what it really says. But to me, systematic is something that you plan to do on purpose. And it's going to be full of targeted, strategic teaching because you planned it. What does is, what is Webster we- say? Webster says systematic relating to or consisting of a system methodical in procedure or plan well there you go go. methodical methodical yes 
Well, and also that you're following the logical progression of skills too, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. So back to what you said. So your lesson is you're rigorous. Planning this systematic lesson, you want to make sure that the lesson has some things, components in it that are key. And one is that you will have opportunities to scaffold your students. Mm-hmm. Another is you want to have opportunities to provide interventions if your students are not getting it. Like if I'm going to teach this, what am I going to do for the kids that aren't getting it? Mm-hmm. And you want to provide a lot of opportunities for students to practice. When you're planning your lesson, you want to be systematic. You want to provide opportunities to scaffold. You want to provide inter- opportunities to intervene. And you want opportunities for students to practice. So I, I like the idea of rigor starting from the planning stage. And I like that a rigorous lesson has a lot of thought behind it of what am I going to do for all the kids at multiple entry points because we all need to learn the same thing, but we need multiple points of entry, multiple opportunities for practice and extra practice for kids who are kind of behind on the, um, what word am I looking for? Who I just need extra practice on the skill. Just yeah. Developmentally. Developmentally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'd actually thought of rigor as starting with the actual planning stage, but I guess it would have to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everything I we do starts from the planning stage. Honestly, I think that's one thing that teachers might be missing is um, they're just so worried about the lesson and to make sure it has rigorous components to it mm-hmm. that maybe they're missing just at step one. Because at step one, if you're really thinking of your very own students and their needs, then automatically rigor begins. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the, the most rigorous lessons are probably the most laid back, less complicated lessons. The ones that true, where true teaching is coming about. Well, and it's hard because rigor looks different for each child you know mm-hmm. what's rigorous for me may be easy for you and what's easy for you may be rigorous for me so I think mm-hmm. that that's where the lesson planning comes in you know which is such an mm-hmm. essential component is looking at the data of all the kids and making sure we're going to reach all of them at the place where they need to be Well, and to make it even a little more complicated and um, difficult is that rigorous lessons need to have content that's relevant to your students. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be linked back to their background knowledge. And there again, you know, all students are going to get a different connective link to to what you're teaching them. Which is more lesson planning of building your background knowledge and thinking about the background knowledge. And... I, I think what you said about the conference that you went to about differentiation actually really fits here. Well, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I just went to the Visible Learning Conference in, in Salt Lake City with uh, Dr. Hattie. And I can't remember what point in the conference it was said that they were talking about... <laughs> 
he he actually talked a lot about people misunderstanding educational research studies, especially Carol Dweck's research on growth mindset being very, very misinterpreted. And that's a whole other story. But he talked about the research into differentiation. And he said, differentiation was never, ever intended to be giving each kid a different lesson. That's not what it was ever intended to be. It wasn't intended to be like Johnny gets worksheet A and Susie gets worksheet B and Bobby gets worksheet C. It's not, because that's just a new version of ability grouping and we know ability grouping doesn't work. He said differentiation is just teachers knowing that every kid is going to get there at their own pace and paying attention to each kid and their own pace. But we give the kids the same lessons and we expect the same high expectations for each of, for all of them. We just know that their trajectories are a little bit different. And I thought that was interesting because I don't know that I have always looked at differentiation that way. I think I may have fallen into the Bobby gets worksheet A and Susie gets worksheet <laughs> B camp sometimes. I think a lot of people have, but it kind of fits with a rigorous lesson. You're going to already plan for interventions and practice, which means you're going to, to me, the answer is always centers. (laughs) You're always going to have those small groups that you're going to, after you do your whole group rigorous lesson, your um, small group practice and independent practice (laughs) are going to be more, um, of scaffolding students on their own levels and reaching background, reaching their background knowledge and connecting them to the lesson mm-hmm. in in small group ways. And to me, that's differentiation. It's you're presenting the same stuff. You're just connecting to the student with their yeah. own modality of learning. Well, and one thing we we know in early childhood settings is. Um, the kids who are at risk they just need more practice that's what's Mm -hmm. putting them at risk it isn't that they need a different lesson or they need a different expectation they just need what did you say it was like i don't know like what a kid who's not at risk needs like eight or nine exposures to something but a kid who's at risk needs like i don't know i don't know the numbers oh well the one that i uh, I thought I got one time that um, Kathleen Brown from the University of Utah told me anytime anyone uses numbers, it's like an alarm ringing because it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> because I tried to find where this was written, but I did learn this in some class. And actually, I've always, I, I think it's staying spot on, is a typical student needs something 25 times. A tier two student needs something 25 times 25, and the tier three students need 25 times 25 times 25. Well, regardless of the numbers, (laughs) (laughs) we know that what those at-risk kids need is just more chances for more exposures, a lot more exposures. So it's not that we're actually... So rigor for them is still the same lesson. It's just you have to work in like three times the amount of exposures somehow, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Well, and I think another really important part of, of um, giving a rigorous lesson is the students need to become part of that learning. Mm. They need to know why, how, what, where, and they want they need it to they need to know why it connects to their life. Well, I think something you do that makes all of your lessons more rigorous is you've always connected your lessons to science and social studies because you cuz what what isn't going to instantly hook a kindergartner into a lesson? other than science. They love science. Mm -hmm. Like they love bones science. and butterflies and bugs. Well, I think what you're saying is uh, make sure your content is relevant. Yes. Because we know that the learning is always deeper if kids feel like it's relevant and if they're excited about it. We know as learners that we will be more engaged with something that interests us well, that kind of reminds me of just college. <laughs> and probably everybody's going to... I, I'm hoping everybody feels the same way. But if I went to a class that I wasn't really all that interested in, you know, I just did the work, got the grade, and got out of there. Mm -hmm. But once I got into, like, a child development class or something that, you know, rocked my world, <laughs> I just dove in and, and got into it. So... I think that making content relevant and students excited about the content is really important. Yeah. Well, my husband keeps telling me, you know, you could learn to program if you wanted to. And I said, yeah, if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have no interest in learning that. Thank mm. you. That reminds me that on um, the cruise, there were two guys in the ocean next to me. Mm. <laughs> talking about then they were obviously traveling together and they were talking about their coding business and how they made a million dollars their first year and neither one of them had gone to college they learned to code on youtube <laughs> <laughs> and i thought oh wow all of us teachers have got it wrong. <laughs> we could have just learned to code, just on go learn to code on youtube if we had any interest in learning to code off of youtube if we had interest, i'm not interested exactly. in that clearly from from what we're doing right now making a podcast we our interests lie <laughs> in other areas yeah so it's whatever your interest was like music for you mm -hmm. i mean those music classes you worked way harder in classes no you worked hard in all classes <laughs> i worked hard in we better all stick. my classes <laughs> We better stick with my analogy. <laughs> I could get an A in any class I wanted to by just showing up, listening, take the test, and be done with it. But the classes I cared about, I certainly felt the rigor. Mm -hmm. So another thing we want to do is we want our children... And I our have another thought on that. I was thinking the only class I ever got to be in was my Old Testament class. But the way, but so, but the way that he presented the material was, go read the Old Testament, and write down in your journal what you thought of that. Go then the next day, go read it and write down what you thought of that. That was the whole class, and I got to be in it because I had no interest in it at all. But then the other day, I just downloaded a great courses class about the Old Testament from Doctor Levine. And it was fascinating, and I loved it. And I wish she had more classes on it so I could learn more about the Old Testament and the sources it came from and all this cool stuff she was talking about. So, you know, I think that's a perfect example 
because that's why rigor has to start with the planning and the systematic delivery stage because the content if we present the content in a way that does not spark interest and children connect to then it's not going to be a rigorous So are you lesson. saying that my class I got to be in was not very rigorous because the assignment <laughs> was saying. go read it saying. and write what you think about it and then go read it and then go write what you think about it and I'm, yeah, I'm going to just like that? chill up here and we're not going to learn anything. It was terrible. It was ter- not very rigorous at all. <laughs> it was the worst. <laughs> So, so what else? What else makes... Oh, and so one thing that is really important is that we, when planning a rigorous lesson, we want to have our students or our children reach their potential. And so what would that mean? I don't know. <laughs> that sounds so nebulous. Like... Have our children reach their potential. So what I mean when I say we want our students to reach their potential is we want to provide them with content that lifts them. A worksheet does not teach. A worksheet is practice. and A worksheet is a for lesson. the day that you had a really horrible day the day beforehand and you don't have time to plan, and you just need a few minutes, <laughs> easy few minutes. That's what a worksheet is for. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I taught with a teacher once, and this is how she defined worksheets. I thought it was great. She said, worksheets are for the students who already can do Yeah, it. that's true. <laughs> and it's true. It's so true. I loved it when she said that, because that is exactly what a worksheet is for. There are students who thrive with worksheets, but why do they thrive? They, because they, they already, already have can mastered do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, what I'm talking about when I say to reach their potential is to give them the opportunity to do it, to to smell it, to touch it, to taste it, and see if it's something that's going to excite them in their life. Well, and yeah. I don't know what to say to that because it was just so good. <laughs> it was just so perfect. So how do we know if a student has re- is reaching their potential? How do, that's that still sounds kind of nebulous. So how are we measuring this? How are we? Well, I think <laughs> is that I think the most important thing is to give students opportunity to demonstrate that they know it. Mm. Kids love to talk. They love to show what they know how to do. I mean, think about your own children or kids in your classroom that are so excited to tell you things that they've done, things they've learned, and things they know. Well, we need to give our students plenty of opportunity to show off, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you've just given an exa- a lesson on uh, metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. Well, then give your students time to talk about metamorphosis. Let them draw pictures. Let them... um, Write stories. Write stories. Let them demonstrate what they know. And the next thing that you can do while you're letting them 
to to lead them into demonstrating their knowledge is by asking high-level questions. A higher order thinking question mm -hmm. or a high level question would be something where the students have to think critically, mm -hmm. where they have to actually um, apply and analyze. So, can you think of one? Uh, yeah, well, just, you know, the easy one. Can you explain this? Mm -hmm. I mean, that is a higher order, easy, easy ask question. Mm -hmm. Can you explain mm -hmm. that? Or this is another one that's just really easy. What do you think about? Mm -hmm. You know, those are a couple really easy ones. Um, you can infer what, and you know, talk about inferring mm -hmm. is a really good one. Or talk about pros and cons, like, um, or in metamorphosis, like, can you tell me about the metamorphosis of a butterfly and a frog? And you can you tell me how they're the same and how they're different? Mm -hmm. So compare and contrast. Those are some, and... Mm -hmm. Anything that actually makes the student think and come up with their own evidence-based mm -hmm. answer is a higher order question. And a rigorous lesson needs to be full of a lot mm -hmm. of that. I think a great tip for teachers is um, have a stash of those higher order questions, like <clears throat> have them on, um, what are those things called? Tongue depressors. Just have a bunch in a can so you can pull them out and, and ask them. Um, we had a wheel in Idaho that you could actually mm -hmm. turn. That's a good idea. To come up. Yeah, and so when I was teaching, I always just had that close so that I would always <laughs> So know, you always had the, you know, an, a question prompt on hand? Yeah, always have a question prompt on hand because we know this is a very important part of rigorous lessons, so why not help ourselves by having them handy? That's a good idea. And I think, I think just have them there. I would always, like if the principal was coming in for mm -hmm. sure, I had a whiteboard that I was facing... I, I could mm. see, but the principal generally was watching me, so she couldn't <laughs> see my, <laughs> my It was list. like you had a teleprompter. <laughs> I had a little teleprompter, and I would take notes, and I, I wrote some rigorous questions there and some guiding scaffold um, opportunities and some opportunities for student practice. I just made a list, and I'm sure they never saw it. <laughs> That's funny, because it <laughs> was right behind them. The whole time. Yeah, right behind them. Well, it was kind of in the corner where they would... <laughs> I like that you had a, <laughs> you had a teleprompter. That's funny. Another thing is we need to make sure we have opportunities for students to reflect. And the obvious way for me, because, you know, I love mm. art, the obvious way for me for a student to reflect is through art. Mm. Like if we just talked about metamorphosis then do an art project on metamorphosis. And I don't mean make a paper plate wheel with like macaroni um, things. They're adorable <laughs> and they're cute little art projects, but it's not going to be something where the student is actually reflecting. A student reflection piece is going to be something um, that they're actually creating mm -hmm. from their own mm -hmm. knowledge. In the words of my second grandson when we were having our art lesson the other day, 
I don't really like to write down other people's ideas. I have so many ideas in my head. I want to write my <laughs> Did own he say ideas. That? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and but you know that's rigor. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want the kids to just write someone else's idea. We want them to think critically. And that was a good example for me because he wanted to uh, apply his own knowledge and uh, make it relevant to him. Feedback is really important. I think that a lot of times as teachers we miss a few steps at the end and feedback and evaluation are two that um, are easy to skip Mm -hmm. but very very important so we talked about feedback at the conference i just went to and with james nottingham and he was talking about how we really need to be better at giving good feedback because if our feedback isn't useful to the kids it would be better if we hadn't given them any feedback at all. And he said that good feedback has three components. It tells the kid, where am I trying to go? How well is it going? And what should I do next? And those are the three clues we have to get give the kids for feedback because if, we, if they don't know how they're supposed to use our feedback to get to the next step, it isn't useful to them at all. He actually had us do this exercise and I'm totally going to spoil it, so if anybody's going to one of his conferences, you'll know the secret. But he had us do this exercise where he told everybody, draw a house. And then we all drew a house, and then he said, all right, turn to your neighbor and have your neighbor give you feedback. And we were all kind of like, ah, your house is pretty. And then he's like, so how many of you <laughs> feel like you got good feedback? And we're like, uh, no. <laughs> and he's like, because you don't feel good about judging the person's house because I didn't give you any criteria. Well, here's my criteria. If your house has a chimney, you get one point. If your house has a garden, you get two points. If your house has a window, you get three points. So then he showed how you have to set the criteria beforehand because if he'd have told us the criteria beforehand, it would have been much easier for us to give feedback to each other, like, oh, your house doesn't have a chimney that isn't based on just, well, I really like it, you know. I thought that was an interesting discussion about feedback. Yeah, that is. Well, and it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, that, that it is not a secret what we're teaching. Students need to be a part of it from Mm -hmm. the get-go. They need to know the purpose of why they need to learn it, how it fits in their life. The criteria of what it looks like. The criteria of what I need Mm -hmm. to do. I I, um, think that, I mean, I can think of many examples in my own schooling of teachers that loved playing the gotcha game. And nothing was more frustrating than... um, you know, then teachers thinking you could read their mind and or not knowing a purpose of why you were learning it. And, and it reminds me of my zoology class. I studied my I studied myself to, to death on that class. And I still did terrible on the final because he did they did a department oh, final. Oh, no. Was it one of those and where one person, one professor makes up the final and then everybody uses it? So if you yes. don't have the teacher that made the test, you lose. Exactly. You lose. And I, was, I went in so prepared for that final, and I bombed the final. 
Because I didn't know it any didn't, of the it. Cri- the, the, you didn't have the criteria and it didn't match what you'd been. Yeah, I wasn't lucky enough that I to have had the professor <laughs> made the that test. made the test. <laughs> <laughs> so it is. It's just um, kids, What just what you said. Kids need to know what they're learning and why. And if you do nothing else when you're planning a rigorous lesson, but those two things you're well, on James your way Nottingham to Well, James Nottingham said that he was lesson. giving a presentation and one of the well, a high school teacher went and tried it out with his kids to teach him how to write an essay. So he went back and slapped up on the screen, "These are all the things I'm looking for in your essay." And he said one of the kids raised his hand and said, "Is this a secret?" <laughs> <laughs> Can, I love that. Can, can we write this down? And he was like, yeah, this is what I'm looking for when I check your essays. <laughs> I really yeah, recommend that's exact- listening to him or getting his book. He was a really good presenter, by the way. Yeah. Hey, maybe you can get maybe, him on maybe our podcast. Try. <laughs> he was a really good presenter. I'm probably the last thing that I can think of um, when planning a rigorous lesson is always provide opportunities for students to redo or provide don't don't make them suffer if they don't know the answer tell them <laughs> <laughs> and then allow them the chance to redo i know that um when i was working on my masters if I wouldn't have had the chance to redo papers, I probably would have gone to the loony <laughs> bin because, <laughs> you know, it was very difficult, all those papers we had to write. And being a perfectionist and an A-type personality, <laughs> if I couldn't redo them till they were perfect. <laughs> and lots of kids are like that, and we, we just need them the chance to redo. I mean... Like if we're playing a rhyming game and a kid, tell me a word that rhymes with cat. And they say horse, say cat, rat. Rat rhymes with cat. Tell me a word that rhymes with cat. And they'll say rat because you just gave them the answer. And you just gave them the chance to redo. What is three times five? 11, 15. What is three times five? 15. And that, you know, we want to provide them opportunities for success and to have students feel the power of being in charge of their own destiny. I agree. So I think that's rigor in a nutshell. At least that's my <laughs> understanding of what a rigorous <laughs> lesson what, is what and should be. A rigorous lesson. But I, I think when we ask to do, when we're asked to make rigorous lessons, I, I think we should not feel like it has to be a big show or a big deal. It's just making sure every kid has access to the lesson and is working at a place that's challenging for them. It doesn't have to be a big deal because mm-hmm. I think we make things Probably. out to be big deals sometimes. <laughs> we do. Mm-hmm. Probably my secret to doing a great rigorous lesson for an administrator is pretending that the kids you're teaching are all second language mm. learners that know nothing. And so if you begin with that premise, 
then you're going to be very systematic and targeted with everything you teach. You're going to make sure that you do a really good job with vocabulary. You're going to do a really good job with linking background knowledge. You're going to use a lot of visuals and a lot of gestures and actions and role playing and and you're just going to go that extra step because if your students don't understand the language you're speaking then you really really go more in depth in teaching and so anytime that i was evaluated i always plan my lessons like that so july 10th through the 13th i'll be in las vegas at the i teach k conference Make sure that you stop by and say hi to me and I'll be doing four workshops on Thursday and on Tuesday I will be in the ESGI booth. So make sure you stop by and say hello and if you tell me you're a podcast listener, I will have a special card for you (laughs) that will give you some kind of goodie. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. If you want to write to us, you can write to us at kindergartenkiosk at gmail.com. And if anyone has any suggestions for podcasts that we could do this summer, let us know. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Kindergarten Kiosk is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, a network of podcasts for educators, by educators. For more information, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. That's E-D-U podcastnetwork.com. Now can I listen to it?